0: Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to episode 00002. Something or rather of the mission. I've uh, I've had that many weeks off. I um, actually can't actually tell you what uh, number episode it is. I'll um, get to uh, work over the course of the next week and do some research on that front. My name is Daniel James from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the ninety-six line, which of course is on Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. To any mob that are out listening out there, thanks to everyone who uh, filled in for me during my hiatus. It is very, very good to be back in the safe harbour. That is the best radio station in all the land. Three Triple R FM. Now, on the show, we'll be having an extended conversation with Professor Gary Foley. Professor Foley has been a great friend to Triple R over the years, and he generously came in over the weekend to record an interview for the show. In uh, the conversation, which you'll hear shortly, he talks about his health, the history of the origins of solidarity between black Australia and Palestinians, his life as an activist and historian, and of course he shares his views on the recent referendum. So I've been away for a while, originally I got quite ill in the lead up to the referendum So I actually had to take some time off the show then And I had a whole bunch of other work on which I tried to push through with Which was a big mistake because I think it led to, quite frankly, a a bit of exhaustion on my part Which, um, if I'm honest, I'm really only just coming out of now Um, Anyway, there's been a lot going down since I was last here We had the massive defeat of the referendum on October 14. And before and ever since, we've had the horrors and atrocities of what's been happening in the Middle East, in our ears, in our lounge rooms, and on our streets on a daily basis. Um, in relation to the war crimes, terrorist acts, and the attempted genocide that's occurring to Gaza, I've kept my actions and words pretty low-key over recent weeks. Uh, first of all, for my own well-being. But secondly, I'm also a firm believer of trying to effect change where you can, and in my instance, that's of course locally. So I've done things like written to the foreign minister trying to call or get the Australian government to call for a permanent ceasefire, something the government has failed to do thus far. And I think as a result, they are being hurt at the polls, partially as a result. Um, I've made a donation to Doctors Without Borders and I hope that some of it will help their work in Gaza and around. Um, but most importantly, I've checked in on my Jewish and Muslim friends directly to see how they're holding up during this torrid time. And I've been very careful with my language on social media and elsewhere because one of the early lessons which, we, which has been reiterated as a result of the referendum is that words matter. And that words can be armed and they can devastate sections of the community where we all live. And after the referendum, there's plenty of division, racism and hate to go around this place. Uh, This afternoon, if you are looking for other things to to, uh, take action on uh, locally, the Asylum Resource uh, Centre put out a post on Instagram saying um, basically message for people helping Palestinian refugees who have just arrived from Gaza are alerting to the fact that the Asylum seeking and Resource Centre's food banks are ready to help now, so bring those families in. They can come every week for food, toiletries and for lunch at their Footscray Centre, which of course is at 214 to 218 Nicholson Street, Footscray. And, of course, there's another food bank at Dandenong, at 205 Thomas Street, Dandenong, which is open Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays um, from 12.30 and one um, from 1pm to 3pm uh, later in the week. Um, supporting the Asylum Centre Resource Centre is another positive local thing that we can do to not only try to help the situation um, on the other side of the world, but also make sure that we help those that are here and need all the help they can get. Now, just on the referendum, um, because of the atrocities being committed in Gaza, rightfully taking up so much of our headspace and, and news space at the moment, there has been little or no time to actually decompress and reflect on what just happened in relation to the referendum. Now, there will be plenty of time for that, but um, I just want to give you a heads up, because uh, you know I am a member of the Aboriginal community, proud Yorta Yorta man, that there are a lot of people about the place that are hurt, tired and exhausted, um, and that is uh, going right across the country, right across our towns and cities of this place we call Australia. So if you haven't heard from some of your favourite commentators or public figures in this space for a while, then there's probably a very good reason for it but all I can say is that I'm very pleased to be back on the airwaves which is a privilege and an honour to be able to broadcast on this mighty radio station. Ah. You're about to hear a conversation that I recorded over the weekend with the one and only Professor Gary Foley. What can you actually say about the man he has been at the forefront of black activism since the late 60s Uh, he first tried his hand as you heard supporting some of the old people in the uh, 67 referendum and from there on he's been involved in a whole bunch of efforts and causes to support and further the cause of some of the most oppressed people not only in this country but elsewhere around the world, as you're about to hear. For someone who was expelled from school at the age of 15, he has gone on to become a professor of history. He was awarded a PhD at the University of Melbourne. And um, in uh, 2014, at that same university, he was awarded the prestigious Chancellor's Award for Excellence. Uh, What he doesn't know about um, black history and the black movement in this country is not worth knowing. Uh, He's still active, Um, you'll hear him talk about his health, but uh, without further ado, uh, let's play the conversation that um, I had with Professor Gary Foley over the weekend. Professor Gary Foley, welcome back to Triple R. Thank you. Let's start off, how how are you travelling in life generally at the moment?
1: I'm getting old, I'm going blind, I've gone deaf, um, and I'm dying of emphysema, but i'm still here you're
0: still here and you're still riding your bike you're riding for footscray today yeah
1: yeah i ride my bike to footscray at least three times a week (laughs)
0: wow Uh, that's something that that, um, i wouldn't be able to do myself right now (laughs) um thanks so much for coming in you've been great to uh triple r over the years you've been very generous with your time um there's so much to talk about uh in the world at the moment but i thought to sort of contextualise what's going on in other places around the world at the moment, that we could start by talking about um, your life as an activist. You know, you were expelled from school when you were 15, um, but you, from 1971 onwards, you were uh, one of the key activists and figures around the move towards solidarity with uh, the black people of South Africa in their struggle against uh, apartheid. What well, can you tell us about that time?
1: Well, it began a bit before the the notorious 1971 Springbok Tour of Australia by the racist uh, South African rugby team. Um, the biggest change came for me when I got expelled from school. Um, and uh, I moved to Redfern. And uh, in 1960, end of 1966, when I moved to Redfern, uh, Redfern was uh, an Aboriginal community consisting of about 1,500 people. Um, everyone impoverished, all of us from different mobs around the different parts of the state of New South Wales. Uh, all of us essentially landless refugees in a big, impoverished black ghetto in the slums in Sydney. But uh, within three years, the Aboriginal population of Redfern exploded after the 67 referendum when the uh, New South Wales government arbitrarily, virtually overnight, closed down the old welfare board and shut down all the reserves. Um... There was a mass exodus of black fellows from the bush to the city, which is the only place they had a chance of getting an employment. And so the Aboriginal population at Redfern exploded from about fifteen hundred to about thirty five thousand in the space of three years. Now that was the biggest Aboriginal community that's ever existed in the last eighty thousand years. And uh, a lot of the people coming in from different parts of the bush were of my generation. And uh, we had been, when I first got to Sydney, some of the old folks there uh, were a bit concerned about us young mob getting into trouble with coppers and stuff. Um, And so they encouraged us to help them out in this campaign for this... 1967 referendum, uh, magically sprang large numbers of Australian anti-racists, which <laughs> was, uh, I must say, was a bit of a surprise to <laughs> us. Uh, we were wondering where they'd been all that time. And, uh, but, w- but we the Black Power Movement took advantage of that and we, Paul Coe, gr- uh, commandeered the microphone at one of their early anti-apartheid demos, and challenged the um, the anti apartheid Australians and said, you know, you're being a bit of a hypocritical, getting all upset about racism halfway around the world. What about in Australia where you might be part of the problem, you know? And you know, I would have thought they'd tell Kota to go and get stuffed, but instead they took up the challenge and that in turn resulted in our land rights marches that we were holding throughout 1971, suddenly they became considerably bigger and uh, making bigger headlines, all of which uh, freaked out the uh, tragic little vertically challenged man who was our Prime Minister at the time, Billy McMahon, which in turn led him into making a fatal, mist- fatal political mistake by making a prime ministerial statement on Aboriginal land rights on Invasion Day 1972, the worst possible day he could have picked to make a statement that effectively said, my government will never grant land rights. And in doing so, he triggered the Aboriginal Embassy, which changed the course of Australian history. There you are, folks. There's a (laughs) a a three-hour history lecture for you in five minutes. (laughs)
0: Magnificent. I mean, Billy McMahon has gone down as arguably the worst prime minister in in living memory. Certainly, one of the most incompetent. Um, We've had the Ten Embassy, like you said, the the Springbok tour and the demonstrations were an opportunity for for um young aboriginal activists like yourself to sort of harness and 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 grab the momentum from that anti-racist movement. Um we just leap ahead a long time but we we'll, we we'll, we'll come back to some of um other parts of your life uh, later on. Do you see that as a uh, an opportunity today with uh the solidarity that is being shown on the streets of our cities with the people of Palestine?
1: I'm um, blown away by the extent of the solid solidarity these days. Um, uh, we've got 100,000 people in the marching in the streets of Melbourne a week or so ago. Um, 50 years ago this year, there was a small group of us, including Bruce McGuinness, the Aboriginal leader from down this way, who was my mentor and friend. Yeah, the great, yep. Um, Bruce McGuinness, myself, Robbie Thorpe was there, very young would have been a baby teenage robbie (laughs) thorpe uh, was there at a demonstration in support of the palestinians during the yom kippur war and they would have been lucky if there was six or seven hundred people at that demo 50 years ago so 50 years later to, to see the response to the current sort of carnage um was really encouraging and i hope that a lot of our Palestinian uh, friends in Australia take heart from that, you
0: know. So it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? It was almost fifty years ago to to the week that that initial, um, uh, I guess, demonstration took took place. Is that where the 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 formal solidarity uh, with with Palestine started to take shape between, uh, you know, Aboriginal. Uh, people and the people of Palestine. Is that where it gave birth?
1: I think that Bruce McGuinness and I first became or the Palestinian uh, issue first sort of came into the radar of me and Bruce McGuinness when uh, Bruce was attending Monash Union. I think it was 72 and uh, Mm Arrived at university one day, I wasn't going to uni, I was just hanging around.
0: You so thought you'd wait a bit longer.
1: Um, yeah, just another 25 years. <laughs> um, but uh, we went in there one day and Monash at the time and still, um, significant uh, concentration of uh, Jewish students, mm-hmm. you know, which is all fine and down and we all got on well together until uh, Yom Kippur. But one day, Bruce and I came into uni, and we saw this big gang of uh, what we later discovered were Jewish students beating up this one guy. And so, Bruce, being a Fitzroy boy, you know, knew that uh, that's not the done thing, you know, it doesn't against one. And so, Bruce and I stepped in to try and uh, break this fight up and then they started attacking me and Bruce and then when they started attacking me and Bruce, a lot of our left-wing student mates on campus jumped into the fray and in the midst of the melee, Bruce and I pulled this bloke who'd been bashed up in the first place out of the pack, dusted him down and said, what was that all about? And he said, I'm a Palestinian. And uh, we sat down and had, a long yarn with him and, and uh, became very much aware of uh, the similarities in our historical circumstances. Both our peoples uh, have had their homelands invaded um, and occupied by a settler colonial society. In both cases brutal. I mean the only difference between what's been in done in Gaza now to the Palestinians Exactly the same thing happened here right under our feet in Melbourne 150 years ago you know yeah. Um, and um, for many decades the Palestinians had been demonised and vilified um, and it continues to this day you can still hear it uh, in mainstream media and that and um, you know I just have always um, felt strongly about um, other oppressed peoples. I mean, you know, when the reason we got involved um, in the Springbok tour was because, as part of our casting the net and talking to people from as many different places as we could mm-hmm. uh, in Redfern in the Black Power days, there were a lot of um, African and Asian uh, students here. Uh, from what were then colonised countries studying in Australian universities and we made contact with some of these people and and had great lengthy discussions about the situation back home and their tactics and strategies in their countries that were fighting colonialism and remember this is in the era of decolonisation and many of these students we met uh, would be ultimately going back home to become leaders in their newly independent countries. Mm. you know. And so we also had the advantage in terms of finding out what was going on in the ghettos of America uh, uh, by the thousands of American soldiers who were turning up in Sydney on R&R in the late 1960s, and a lot of those African-American soldiers, of which, you know, a disproportionate number of the American military in Vietnam seemed to be poor blacks from the ghettos yep, being cannon used as cannon fodder. Yeah. And a lot of those African-Americans came and visited us in Redford and brought with them p- the latest uh, African-American political literature But more importantly, they bought first-hand accounts of what was going on in the ghettos back in America. Stuff that we was interested in because we were living in a big black ghetto of our own, facing very similar sort of problems in terms of police uh, brutality and police harassment.
0: What what were some of the specific things that you learned from... Uh, those African-Americans and R &R that had been involved in various movements in in the States. What were some of the the tactics and ideas that you picked up on in particular? Well, I mean,
1: we we were interested in the Black Panther Parties, um, uh, the way in which they dealt with police harassment in their community in Oakland, California. Um, They set up a thing they called the Pig Patrol, Mm -hmm. which, uh, because of the unique laws in California, enabled uh, anyone to carry a gun under circumstances back in those days. And so the Black Panthers set up a pig patrol, which was basically a car full of Black Panthers driving around, armed to the teeth. And whenever whenever they saw a police car come into their community, they'd follow the police car, and if the police car stopped and the policeman got out, the Panthers would get out of their car, load their guns and say to the Copper, we're here to defend the black community. You kill any of our people and we'll kill you. Yeah. Um, that's probably a Pretty significant powerful. part <laughs> of the reason why so many panthers subsequently died. But back in back in New South Wales, Paul Coe thought this was a great idea. And uh, I think somebody might have done a bit of research about New South Wales laws and guns, but in the end... We adopted and adapted that idea of a pig patrol, and we set up our own version of a pig patrol, which consisted of us mounting a, a surveillance operation of our own against the police, whereby we would follow the police around and collect information about all of their all of their activities and uh, you know indiscretions. and and we compiled enough information in the long term to go and convince some senior legal people in New South Wales, that we needed to do something about it and when the eminent legal people said well what do you suggest and Paul Coe said well I've read in America they set up these free shop front legal aid centres staffed by volunteer young white lawyers and he said why can't we do that here and the eminent legal people t- told Paul Coe all 56 reasons why it couldn't be done and <laughs> six weeks later we opened the doors of the first free shopfront front uh, legal, legal aid centre in Australia. We introduced free legal aid into Australia which was later taken up and uni- made universal by Gough Whitlam and then ten years later taken away again by another Labour government the hawk maniacs.
0: You're listening to The Mission on 102.7 3 rfm I'm speaking to Professor Gary Foley um, about a whole range of things and how things in the past still resonate very strongly today and still what a long way we've got to go on a number of fronts. Um, you, you, As a young man, you're coming up during a very, very dynamic time, with so many things going on like you mentioned earlier. What are some of the sort of closest scrapes you came in <laughs> up against as, a, as an activist? Well, I mean, these, these are very sort of volatile times. You, you must have put yourself in physical danger or in harm's way a number of occasions.
1: Yeah, but when you're, when you're young, you're oblivious to danger. And, you know, at the Aboriginal Embassy, for example, people have probably seen the scenes of the time the, the police really got stuck yeah. in the us. Um, but when when we were standing there, and I've got to say, you know, just about everybody at the embassy that day, we were all young, impossibly young. You know, the oldest of us probably would have been 22, apart from Chicka Dixon, you know, mm-hmm. who was our resident uh, elder. <laughs> but uh, we were all young, but the the strength we all felt standing there, linking arms around that tent while surrounded by police... Um, you know, you didn't feel fear. You just felt the strength of the brothers and sisters who were standing there with you and standing firm, you know. And it was a very inspirational sort of moment.
0: If you want to see that footage, i would just um, ask you to YouTube it. Uh, the original Tanded uh, 1972, you'll see a uh, young Gary Foley there. With Vividly
1: him. captured in the film Ning La Na.
0: You'll see a young Gary Foley there with a magnificent uh, mop of hair, uh, a great beard, um, standing in front of these. today,
1: eh? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: your beard's magnificent. <laughs> um, let's go to uh, today. You're actually on a panel next Saturday at the Nicholas Building uh, Association uh, from 10am to 11.45am at Ross House, uh, Level 4 in uh, Flinders Street. I believe tickets are sold out, given the interest, but... Um, all ticket sales will go to uh, Pay the Rent, which I'm sure um, many listeners are familiar with, and the Australian-Palestinian Adversky, Um Network. So even if you can't make it, you can go to those websites and uh, make a donation to support those causes. Here in 2023, the, the idea of uh, uh, another colonial state, uh, another oppressed people, has resulted in this... Mass movement Like you said Hundreds of thousands of people On the street And it seems to have sprung up um, Comparatively Comparatively to some of the The movements that you've been involved in It seems to have been a groundswell That's happened very very quickly
1: It's been spectacular And it caught me Completely by surprise what, I could what you, never have predicted it You what, know But it's brilliant
0: What do you put that down to? What's different about today Than, than years
1: past? I'm not sure. There's, I mean, back, back in the 60s, even before the Springbok tour, um, race and history had become a global issue at the beginning of the 1960s with the Sharpeville Massacre, which triggered worldwide revulsion at the regime in South Africa and the nature of white supremacist notions in general. And that global movement, like I say, eventually ended up impacting, in places all different places all over the globe, and eventually here in Australia. But uh, a similar thing has happened, I believe, in the last few years with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. Um, It's done a the the George Floyd uh, murder seems to have triggered a similar. Um, worldwide revulsion and and got discussion in all sorts of different places about everything ranging from uh, you know police brutality through to colonial statues and monuments and uh, i think that the black lives matter movement may have played a role in in beginning to politicize or at least sort of um stir up this uh, younger generation the the grandkids generation of my generation and i see great hope in uh, a lot of the things that are going on amongst that particular generation of the big demo of high school kids the other day in mm. melbourne organised by themselves spontaneously you know that's these are good signs these are positive signs I haven't seen signs like that since the late 1960s
0: uh, some of the largest protests of uh, of my lifetime and probably yours was some of the protests during the bicentennial celebrations. Masturbation of a nation is <laughs> you coined the term.
1: Um, well, I mean they gave us they gave us a perfect thing to play with, you know, the great celebration of the nation. It didn't take much to you know subvert that.
0: Um, we're a long way down the track from from those. Uh, protests now. There does seem to be a, I would suggest, a a relative consensus across the community in terms of a majority that Invasion Day is a terrible day for First Nations people and shouldn't be celebrated by the majority of Australians, shouldn't be celebrated by Australia at all. Um, How far have we come in in relation to affairs in this country have we come of course we haven't come um far enough but what it
1: varies from place to place yeah. i mean i'm i've always uh loved melbourne since the day i first set foot in the place and it keeps on uh it's a it's a prize or whatever that keeps on keeping on for yeah. me because you know this young mob of war, the warriors of the Aboriginal mm-hmm. resistance in Melbourne, a bunch of young women, essentially, yep. um, have managed to pull crowds of 100,000 onto the streets of Melbourne on Invasion Day. And now, even at our peak in the Black Power days, probably the biggest crowd we would ever got would be twenty twenty five thousand, 25,000. And so for this younger generation to be able to pull... Uh, that sort of a crowd and, and subject them to a bit of consciousness raising each Invasion Day. I think it's just magnificent, and it all goes well for the future as long as, long as these young younger generations don't take their eyes off the prize like we did. You know, uh, I tell these young mob, look, you know. You should believe that you can change your world, you know. Don't ever believe you can't. If you get together with others like you and get organised, it is possible. I say to them, if a bunch of nobody, young black fellas, impoverished, half-educated from the slums of Redfern, could change the course of Australian history with the Aboriginal Embassy, then so can this generation. And I say to them, just don't do what we did. And they say, what's that? And I say, we took our eyes off the ball and the bastards changed the world back. So it's up to them now to, to take up the baton and take it into the next phase. And they've got to do what my generation did, and that is abandon the tactics and strategies of the older generation, especially the generation that's preceded my grandkids' generation because they're the ones out of whom the black bourgeoisie, black bourgeoisie seems to have emerged and uh, it's been the advent of the, the black bourgeoisie taking over or grabbing the range of national leadership, if you like, that uh, has proved itself to be a complete, absolute and utter and miserable failure if we look at their latest effort, uh, a referendum that... You didn't have to be a clairvoyant to predict in advance what the result would be. All one needed was just a little bit of knowledge of history, you know, and a bit of nouse. But there you go, folks.
0: <laughs> so, out of the um, out of the ashes of that, there are now. New opportunities. It's in many ways, it's a it's a new world um, available to anyone who wants to advance the rights of uh, oppressed people here and and abroad. The Palestinian um, uh, solidarity movement doesn't look like it's slowing down in in the slightest. What other parts of the world should we be cognizant of when it comes to uh, showing solidarity with other oppressed people across the world? I don't
1: know about uh, that. But I would say to people, the place to keep your eye on in the next 12 months or so is the Great Satan, the United States of America. Um, I think it's the the best clown show on television at the moment, you know, or on YouTube, which is where I watch it hour by hour as the, you know, the Donald Trump saga continues to implode and... uh, there's still a good chance he's going to get back in, and if he does, uh, we should all be worried. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, you've got a PhD in history from the University of Melbourne. So you're a indeed. You are a and st- with
1: first class honours.
0: Not bad for someone and ex- won
1: the Chancellor's Award for Excellence at the University of Melbourne.
0: Anything else you want to spook, um about <laughs> your achievements? Because um, it's not a bad it's not a bad effort from a kid that was expelled at the age of fifteen, right? To, well, um, the
1: thing the thing I also say to young people, the thing that bugs me now 50 years later is that that experience of being arbitrarily expelled from school when I was, I knew I was smart and I knew I could get into university, I was a year out of it. and But by cutting my education short like that, that headmaster not only destroyed my sort of Uh, self-confidence and self-esteem, he also, worse still, he destroyed my belief in education. And it wasn't for another 30 years uh, until an academic at the University of Melbourne one day insulted me by suggesting that I was a lesser human being because I didn't have that little Mickey Mouse bit of paper that said PhD on it. Yeah. And I said, to him, "Okay, I'll come and get you a little Mickey Mouse a bit of paper. It mustn't be too difficult. You've got one, <laughs> and I did. You know, and I'm glad I took up that challenge. But I, I deeply regret not only having not done that a lot earlier in life. Um, I think I would have been a better person in the long run in life if I had. But
0: uh, in what way? I
1: would have liked to." Have been a bit smarter when I was director of the Aboriginal Arts Board for example you know I was the, what third most senior Aboriginal public servant in Australia for three years you know. Yeah. And um, I think that I missed a lot of opportunities for other things that me and Chica Dixon might have been able to do during that period you know and I, I think I would have made a better go of it if I'd had a better understanding of certain things that i didn't have then and i do have now
0: yeah right um just to go back to to the us again because i'm fascinated with your thoughts on this because like it's like i said you are a student of history um how far away or how close are we to the united states potentially becoming a failed state
1: not only is the united states very close becoming a failed state, you should always remember that uh, historically Australia seems to have followed mm-hmm. whatever happens in America within five years or so afterwards, you know. Australians have had this, I don't know what it is that makes them Fixation, do that. yeah. Um, it's probably because... Post-Second World War, Australians, like a lot of the rest of the Western world, got um, smothered in uh, American cultural imperialist propaganda, you know, through television shows, through the few music, through culture, uh, you know. Um, Australia's a lot more American today than it was uh, back in the late 60s. (laughs) Back in the late 60s, Australia was still very, very... British.
0: Yes, yes, and you'd, um, you would know, see the middle-class people with some of that archival footage back in the day trying to put on their best British accent for the, for the cameras. That um, doesn't happen so, more, so much anymore. Um, uh, look, Professor Gary Woodfolly, thank you so much for coming in um, to speak with us. Thank you for your life's work and thank you for what you've got to uh, give us um, yet to come.
1: No worries, folks. I don't think there's going to be much yet to come, though. I'm, I'm getting close. <laughs> you
0: take care. Go well.
1: No worries. Thank you. RRR.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation with uh, Gary Foley. certainly lit up the uh, text line. Uh, provocative, as always, He's, has been his bent and his life's work. He's never shied away from... Uh, being thought-provoking and uh, speaking truth to power, whether it wants to be heard or not. Uh, thank you to Professor Gary Foley for that conversation. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the love that has been shown on the text messages. It's a reminder that this wonderful Triple R radio station is a safe harbour for so many people, including my good self. Uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully, with another very interesting guest for us to learn and listen from, listen to and from. Whatever, it's late in the night. I'm getting hungry. Time to get out of here. Uh, Until next week, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Ta-da. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.